0: All right, welcome to masterminds and maintenance a podcast for those with new ideas and maintenance. I'm your host Ryan I'm the CEO and founder of upkeep each week I'll be meeting with a guest who's had an idea for how to shake things up in the maintenance and reliability industry Sometimes their idea failed. Sometimes it made their business more successful and other times their idea revolutionized an entire industry today I have with me Eric Hupier joining us all the way from Brisbane, Australia Eric is the founder of roadtoreliability.com. Welcome, Eric. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for that. It's good to be here. All right well i've been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. You know that I've been following you for for quite some time now, and I'm really glad that we can finally have this time to connect over over uh, masterminds and maintenance. so maybe you know to kick things off the ground would love to start off with you sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got into this industry
1: yeah sure. Um, as you can probably hear from my uh, from my accent I'm not a native uh, English speaker, so I actually grew up and, and originated from from the Netherlands. Um, I went to school there, went to university there, and I left in, um, in 1998. And um, since then, I've been around the world, um, initially working in the UK, um, then spent about seven years in the Philippines, and moved with the family to the Middle East, where we lived for five years. And back in 2013, we came with the family again um, to Australia, uh, here in Brisbane. And that's where we've been since, and that's where we intend to stay. And in fact, since 2017, we've become uh, proud Australians.
0: All right. Well, congratulations. It sounds like you've traveled the world. Um, You've called, you're you're now calling Australia home. I'm curious, Eric, you know, how did you get into the field of maintenance and reliability? What's, what's your background?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I started off as an engineering, in an engineering position initially in the UK, um, did minor um, plan changes and modifications, worked on a major offshore project, um, and then um, after about four or five years, I moved to the Philippines in a, in a role that was more a business role, an asset strategist, and that was all about setting up systems for a, to help the organization move from a mega project environment to an asset management env- environment, right, so those are very, very different, you need very different ways of working, um, which was a great experience, but I wanted to get back into a more, into a technical role, uh, and the plan was to um, become the project engineer on a project that was was due to kick off. Um, unfortunately, the project was uneconomical and canceled. Um, so I then had a conversation with the asset manager who I knew well and uh, I said, well, now what? And he said, well, why don't you go and have a look at our maintenance performance? Because we have a lot of issues. Our equipment is in pretty, especially offshore was in pretty bad shape. Um, the plant is not reliable. We're spending a lot of money. So why don't you spend some time there and have a look and tell me what's going on? So. Yeah, that's how I got started. I started doing um, some
0: analysis and some improvement, and, and that got me into maintenance. All right. And what, what has been your journey since then, you know, moving into this industry, moving up into this industry? And then I would love to dig deep a little bit into you starting, you know, Road to Reliability.
1: Yeah, so I mean, after that initial role, I did that for about a year, year and a half. Um, I then picked up the, um, the execution role. So I was responsible for leading the maintenance execution onshore and offshore, um, which I learned a lot from, especially on an asset that was uh, in a pretty bad shape. We were very reactive as an organization because of the condition of the asset. Um, I did that for a while. And then in the Middle East, I did basically the maintenance build for a new mega project. So that was setting up all the CMS, writing maintenance strategies, et cetera. So I've seen kind of the full spectrum across the lifecycle. Um, in terms of why I set up the road to reliability, there's probably two things that I've noticed and that's kind of frustrated me over the years as I've traveled across the world and, and worked in different places. And there's two main things. And first is that I really think we, we make maintenance a lot more complicated than it needs to be. It's, it's sure there's a lot of technology and a lot of advances that a lot of people can use. But if you look at the typical plant around the world, then there's of course t- there's tens of thousands of these plants. Um, they struggle with the basics. They struggle with planning and changing. They struggle with improving their PM program and um, getting basic defects out, all those kind of basic things. And I really think that if the bulk of the plants around the world would adopt those, some, of, some of those basic practices and really get them under their belt, um, they would see a massive transformation in their, in their performance. And, and the other thing I found is when I worked in the Middle East or when I worked in, in, in Asia, I found it was really hard to get access to, um, to good training. You know, it's, it's if you're in the US or if you're in Europe, like the UK, or here in Australia, um, you just go online and there's plenty of people who can offer training, right? And they can come and fly to your plant or you can go and attend a public seminar. But if you're in the Philippines or if you're in Oman or in somewhere in Africa, that's not the case. Um, mm. And flying out um, trainers can be very expensive. And I really believe that, you know, when you want to build and improve maintenance reliability. It all comes from knowing what you need to know, right? Understanding the basics and, and getting that in place. So those were the two main things that drove me to, to set up the road to reliability. I offer a very simple framework that is around planning and scheduling, defect elimination, dealing with some good leadership and, and, and behavioral practices, some culture building. Um, and then tends, eventually I intend to support that with online training courses to help people all over the world access that kind of knowledge.
0: It's amazing. And how long has it been for you, for you running road to reliability? Well,
1: it's still very much a side thing. So, um, I kicked this off uh, about a year and a half ago, I think two years ago, um, build a website. Um, I'm in, in the process of building the first course around maintenance planning and changing that that will launch early next year. Um, but you know, as I said, uh, it's a side thing. Uh, I still have actually two, well, not two anymore, but I have a job. So it's, uh, it's something that takes a lot of time and I'm really passionate about it, but uh, to do it well, it, it, it's, it's taken a bit longer than I thought it would do, <laughs> but that's how it goes.
0: It always happens that way, huh, Eric?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I do strongly believe that, you know, if you do these things, you've got to do them well. So, you know, that yeah. course has taken, it's been a bit of a, a labor of love in a way, so it's taken longer to get it ready than I thought.
0: All right. Well, I'm looking forward to taking that course and that, you know, learning everything that you you've learned through all of your knowledge throughout the last few years. Um, so you mentioned planning and scheduling a few times and would love to focus this conversation around that. You know, the first one, the first question for me is like, how did you become so passionate about planning maintenance, planning and scheduling? Where did that come from?
1: Oh, I think, uh, that was a that was a hard lesson um back in 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 the Philippines when I was basically took on the role of uh, maintenance execution right ahead of maintenance execution and um we had an asset like I said that was um plagued with a lot of integrity issues from the original installation and design phase uh, we had a lot of equipment failures um we were highly reactive because of that because we were not very good at prioritizing work everything had to be done urgently Um, being offshore um, logistics are hard um, labor is constrained and it was near impossible to get on top of our issues and what i found was that yeah, we were not in prioritizing. We were working on everything at the same time, rather than really focusing on what had to be done first. And we were just not efficient. Read the book from Doc Palmer, right? Yeah, everybody must know that by now. Um, but that's a fantastic book. Uh, highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in planning and scheduling. You know, get the book. Uh, the maintenance, what are it called again? The the hand, the maintenance scheduling handbook. I think, fantastic book. Um, and started implementing that. And and over over the months, and maybe if a year, year and a half, we really saw an improvement in in terms of how much work we could do, and getting on top of it and became less reactive. And, and by doing that, by getting ourselves more time, we got, finally got some time from the guys at the front line to start thinking about, okay, what's going wrong? Where, where are we really struggling? Um, and we got some time to start doing some RCAs and some defect elimination. And it was just really, really important. So that was when I learned the importance of planning and scheduling. It's, it's, if you don't have good planning and scheduling, um, you're going to be set up for, to fail for, for the long run.
0: Yeah, you know, Eric. I recently read one of your blog posts. You you mentioned a pretty bold statement that without planning and scheduling, maintenance will fail. Why is that? What what happens if you don't have good planning and scheduling? What have you seen?
1: Yeah, so that's that's exactly what I was describing there. If you don't have good planning and scheduling, right? So you you end up with a with an organization that is is inefficient, uh, that becomes that falls into firefighting, um, is not working on the right priorities. Um, and so you become uh, reactive, reliability goes down, costs will go up. Um, so maintenance planning and scheduling is all about creating a stable work environment for, for the guys at the front line, making sure that they have the tools and the, and the resources and the, and the people they need to do the jobs to do them well um, and then continuously improve that. And maintenance is all about, maintenance is repetitive, right? Um, preventive maintenance obviously is repetitive by definition, but even most of our corrective maintenance we do over and over just because we have dominant failure modes in our assets. And and that's where planning and scheduling really comes in, right? Because you prepare the jobs, you get them ready, and then you execute them. And then you review and you do it better next time. And that's how you drive this efficiency in your organization. And being efficient in executing your maintenance means you get time to to start thinking about, okay, well, what is going wrong? Where can we do better? And if you don't have that stability in your your working environment, that gives you the, the ability to look ahead and start thinking and become proactive. Um, you're stuck in the reactive firefighting mode, which unfortunately a lot of assets around this world are stuck in,
0: and it's a pretty yeah. depressing, pretty sad place to
1: be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean,' it's definite, it definitely takes a toll on you, you know, working in this firefighting mode all, all the time. We've seen so many of our customers be in that mode. But there is something to say about maintenance, you know there is very often a component of being reactive. You can't really pre- you can't always predict failure. So how do you bake that into this idea of planning and scheduling?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of things there. I think the most important thing you're absolutely right is you know obviously we'll have corrective maintenance when right? things fail and we need to fix them. Um, the the most important step there, I believe, is that when you have. Corrective maintenance that comes in, you have a failure to do a, you do a good prioritization that basically makes sure that you understand, okay, what is the, what's the consequence and the likelihood of what I'm dealing with here. So you do a kind of a risk assessment and say, okay, if I don't do this uh, job right now, how much longer do I have? And, and that gives you really some stability. Instead of saying, I've got a failure, I've got to fix it right now, you can say, I've got a failure, but actually I can manage that because I can start the standby pump or actually I have another way of dealing with it. Um, and, and give yourself a couple of weeks or, or longer to, to basically live with that impending failure and so that you can plan the job properly, you can get your resources together, you can get your materials ready, you can get a clear scope of work, package it up and then execute it. Um, so this is why that front step in the planning and changing process of prioritization is so important because that creates stability in, in the rest of the process. Mm. If you let all these emergencies come in, then you're back into, into that reactive firefighting. So that prioritization is key to
0: filtering that out to some degree. That's a good point. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of teams that we see will take every single, every single um, thing that comes up, whether, whether it's a breakdown and say, we need to prioritize this, drop everything that we're doing prioritize that amongst everything else. Kind of forget about what's the priority of this in the grand scheme of things of the other hundred things that we're working on. So I definitely see your point there, um, yeah,
1: and it, it doesn't have to be much work. Huh? It, it's it's a it's a simple process. Where, where I've seen this work really well in assets and organizations, and that's what I've been training people to do, is just very simple. Every day, you look at the new work requests that's come in, and you do a with a team, with operations and maintenance there, because operations stand, understand usually better the impact on the plant, and maintenance understand the technical requirements. You do a quick review, um, you know, and you may have five or ten new work requests, and it should take you 15 20 minutes and then that sets up the process for the rest of the weeks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, of of the maintenance planners and schedulers that you've seen, where do where do you see most people get wrong there? Where do most people go wrong with a maintenance planner and scheduler?
1: there's quite a few things that where it can go wrong. Yeah, but I think one of the one of the biggest confusions I see in organizations is especially with organizations as a whole is we confuse planning with scheduling. And, mm-hmm. and that, bec- that becomes because in, we treat them almost as synonyms, right? But really in the planning and scheduling process, they're very different steps and phases. So planning is all about getting the work ready to execute. It's about making sure that you understand what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, the spare parts, the tools, the materials, the resources, and getting that all packaged up and being ready to do the, to do the job. Um, Scheduling is all about, okay, well, when is this the most efficient way to do it or, or time? Um, I've got five jobs on a, on a piece of equipment, right? Let's schedule them together and take that piece of equipment down and mm-hmm. do all five jobs Rather than doing it this week one, and then again another week, and another week, and another week. Um, because in most environments, we have to isolate our equipment, do lockout, tagout, and all those kind of things. That takes time. And if you do that five times instead of once and campaigning it, you can drive a lot of efficiency. Um, so I think you know, planning and scheduling is a big one where people get it wrong. Um, and even when people do understand it, the, the, another big problem is that, that we have maintenance planners that we, um, we burden them with admin, right? We get them to do invoices. We get them to do, um, you know, make sure vendors are paid and all this kind of stuff. But a good maintenance planner needs to be out in the plans, scoping jobs, talking to technicians, and pulling all that together. And if you bury him with admin or her with admin, you won't get the value of that planning role. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you then sit in the row, the planner sits stuck behind his desk and, and doesn't get out to the plant, doesn't get a chance to go and speak to the technicians or the supervisor or have a look at the job site, um, which then leads to, you know, inefficiencies in the job. The other thing I've seen happen a lot in organizations is they say, oh yeah, planning is changing. That's great. Let's go and do this. And they'll roll something out. They'll, they'll maybe even get people trained and they might even um, write um, a procedure or a process how they're going to do it. Um, but then they'll, they'll not spend enough time to think about how they're going to impact the people who are working in the process and how that changes their work life and, and, and their ways of working. And they're not focusing enough on the change management and the sustainability. And so they push this into the organization. It works for six months, maybe 12 or 18 months while the people who are pushing it are busy pushing. But then eventually another initiative comes along or the people who are driving the process move on, get promoted or leave the company. And so often I've seen people or organizations two or three years down the line, they go, that we had a planning and scheduling process what's happened it's all fallen apart um, because they never set themselves up for kind of long-term success
0: yeah absolutely it's trying to do too much with too little and really yeah. focusing on on one core competency so so knowing that you know you brought up this idea of the the maintenance planner and scheduler going out into the actual field seeing you know technicians seeing the job site. Do you believe planners should be involved in actual maintenance practices? So we've heard two different, two different trains of thought. One is you need someone who has field experience to know actually what it takes. But we've yeah. also heard this other component that you know, core focus on just maintenance planning and scheduling is absolutely key. Where do you think Uh, a maintenance planner and scheduler should come from and what should their day-to-day look like?
1: Yeah. So absolutely. I I strongly believe that a good planner is somebody who has the, has the understanding of how the job needs to be done um, and how the equipment works. Um, But let me take a step back, because what happens a lot, people talk about planners and schedulers and merge the two roles. But like I said, I see those two really as quite distinct tasks, planning versus scheduling, and they have different kind of competency requirements. Somebody who's a planner, who's preparing the job for somebody else to do, needs to understand how to do that job, needs to understand what materials are required. And that's really somebody who has a technical trade background, a craft background. Um, a scheduler mm. is, um, could be somebody with a trade background, but can also actually be somebody who just has a good understanding or an oversight of how the plan works. It could be somebody with an ops background um, or even somebody with a more administrative background, but it's all about managing data in your CMS or whatever system you're using. They're, they're quite different, um, but I do absolutely uh, believe that a planner needs to be somebody who understands the technical work that he or she is planning.
0: Got it. Absolutely. So, so then the next question always comes down to resource allocation, right? So, so how do you advise companies? Where, where do you currently fall in terms of how many maintenance planners and schedulers do you need for your team? What if there's only resource for one, then, then what do you do in that case?
1: So first of all, there's, there's no, I think there's no magic ratio. There's plenty of ratios being quoted around, right? But it all depends on the maturity of your plant. If you are in a highly reactive plant and you've got no decent PM program and you're just continuously firefighting, you're going to need a very different ratio of planners to, to technicians than if you are in a plant with very stable operations, a very good PM program that you're just tweaking and you've got a few correctors coming through each day. Um, so the ratio could be now, 1 to 20 or 1 to 30, so 20 or 30 technicians to a planner, if you have a stable uh, plant with a very good um, PM build set up and, and everything else. Um, if you're just starting out in a highly reactive environment with with a lot of issues and everything else, the ratio could be as low as 1 to 5 or 1 to 10, right? Um, but the one thing I always kind of say to people, I say, you've got to approach it also a little bit different. You've got to see your planners and schedulers as the whole implementation, really, of planning and scheduling as an investment that you're making. So what you want to do is and this is what I've recommend. I've got a little tool on my website also, where people can use. Is you just do um, do an assessment, and say, okay, what is your productivity at the moment? And and typically, most maintenance plans will have a productivity of say 25, 35 mm-hmm. percent, right? So if you have a crew of say twenty technicians working at twenty five or thirty percent, and you now take two guys out, or two people out, one planner, one scheduler. And you can raise that productivity to 45%. You've actually increased your capacity. Even though you took two people out, you're actually going to get a lot more work done. And that's the way to approach it. So it's not like, oh, I've only got one slot. No, it's an investment. You take those two people out and you're going to train them, you implement the process. You're actually going to get a lot more work done. It um, can be a hard sell sometimes, especially up in the, up the, the, the food, food chain, but um, that's something to work on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think so many of our customers have seen the great impact that plant better planning and scheduling have have made on the bottom line for their their business. I mean, yeah. um, also it's a big it's a big culture win too, right? Like always, firefighting is is tough on the team, right? So, absolutely. so not just the better productivity at the bottom line, but also from a morale and a culture perspective uh, of the maintenance team, I, I think would go up um quite drastically
1: yeah no absolutely and so this is actually one of the things i um i often talked about with with people when it comes to trying to sell planning and scheduling um you need to kind of have a think about who your stakeholders are and who you're talking to so if you're talking to your ceo or your 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 ops manager you probably want to express this thing in dollars or say, right okay this is the amount of dollars we can save by implementing this but if you're talking to the frontline guys you can say look um, you're gonna have less frustration you're gonna have less rework it's gonna be a better place to work and that's the kind of arguments and the reasons to implement planning and scheduling that sells to the frontline guys, you know, because it makes their life, their day-to-day work better.
0: So as a maintenance planner and scheduler, any advice for doing you know, that role and being better in that role? What have you seen make the biggest impact for um, someone who, who may be in this role for the past couple of years?
1: Um, I think the probably the most important thing is to realize that it's all about continuous improvement, right? So it's because maintenance is repetitive, because we're doing these jobs all the time, um, always just improves. So when you've planned a job and it gets executed, make sure you get feedback from the crew and say, okay, what went well? Were all the materials there? Were the right materials there? Was the job duration correct? Were the step sequence correct? Get that feedback and then there always will be feedback, right? Or almost always. Take that feedback and update that plan. And then next time it comes out, it's going to be better. And, you you know, if you do that on a regular basis and you set up a system where you save your documents, save your drawings, save your pictures of everything you need for the work pack, life is going to get a lot better. And then don't just do this for your preventive maintenance, but do the same for your corrective maintenance, because it does, you know, most plans will be doing the same corrective jobs over and over again.
0: Wow, Eric, I definitely learned a ton about maintenance planning and scheduling. There's a lot to digest there. Um, I would love to pivot a little bit into, you know, what do you wish people knew more about in the maintenance and reliability industry?
1: Ah, oh, there's, there's lots to talk about. That's a good question. Um, I, honestly, I think the, the one thing I would like people to take away is that it doesn't have to be too complicated. So if you go onto the typical websites of people who sell improvements and maintenance, maintenance performance or reliability, have big complex triangles with 20 elements in there. And what I really would like people to understand is if you just do the basics well, the basic processes, you'll make a massive improvement. And then you can start thinking about some of the more advanced things. So there was a there was a really great piece of work done by Winston Leday who founded the manufacturing game, right? And um, they did a benchmarking study way back in the nineteen eighties, um, which I think was called the best of the best. And they basically fleshed out the practices that made the biggest difference. And it was and this is what my road to reliability concept was very much based on. It's about doing planning and scheduling, having a good PM program, and then supporting it with defect elimination to drive out those defects that give you your you know the repeat failures and if you get those three pra- place, those three elements in place, you will make a massive change. And I really—that's the one thing I always say to people: just focus on those three, and then you know, two, three, four years down the line, you can see what else you can do, um, and awesome. you will have a massive difference.
0: Eric, where do, you know in this in this culture of always trying to be better and never just taking status quo the way that it is? Um, where where do you go to continue to be better and to learn more? What resources do you use?
1: Um, I use the, I use the web a lot. I mean, I use LinkedIn. There's a lot of great, great resources there. Um, listen to, to webinars from the SMRP. Um, look at some of the resources from reliability web. Um, I haven't done many conferences in recent years because I'm just too, too busy with, with my day job. Um, (laughs) but you can learn a lot from speaking to other people, right. And, and, and reading articles. And to be very honest, we can all learn a lot by actually reading some of the literature that has already been published. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good books out there. So that's another thing is people tend to think that they can go out and buy a fancy piece of software, expensive tool, and that will give them reliability or give them better maintenance performance. But it won't unless you actually improve the underlying business process. So, you know, some of the cheapest investments you can make is buy some good books for your crew, you know, buy that Doc Palmer book or buy a book from a Mowbray or somebody else on RCM, understand it and start to apply it. It's, it's, it's fantastic.
0: What are all the different ways that our listeners can connect with you and follow you?
1: Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place to, re- to reach me, um, LinkedIn, um, or through my website, roadtoreliability.com. There's a contact form there. There's a community there that's free for anybody to join and, and, and discuss and raise questions. Um,
0: so those be really the two best places, either on LinkedIn or on my, through my website, roadtoreliability.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Eric, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's Masterminds and Maintenance. My name is Ryan Chan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can connect with me as well on LinkedIn and directly at ryan at onupkeep.com. Until next time. Thanks so much, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers.